Hello and welcome to Reef Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we are seeing another classic today, Double Indemnity. Yes. From 1944, Billy Wilder's classic, paradigmatic, perfect example of a film noir. That's right. It is It is the, the film noir. And I want to say that we saw it at the electric at a noon screening and it was packed mm. and people applauded at the end. People which is lovely to see. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it was nice. Um, I'd never seen it, as is normal with these things. When we visit uh, an older movie, a classic that I'm supposed to have seen, I always haven't. You, <laughs> I, you I assume, had seen it a lot. I have seen it, and I, in fact, I have topped this film. Right, so, so you're well, you're well, so I'm very let, familiar with it. I'm going to let you do most of the talking. Well, I don't know if I will do most of the talking. I didn't hugely get on with it. Oh, well, you see, that's interesting, so why not? Well, I, um, yeah, it's difficult. I, uh, at no point do I think it's like a bad movie, right? Like, there's a reason that it's a classic, and you can tell. Mm. So I don't think like anything about it is really bad. But um, I feel like I wasn't. I'm not on its wavelength. It's it's so, it's such an such an example of its of a a style that is of a certain time that I maybe I wasn't in the mood for it. I don't know, but. Um, I f- only at a few points did I feel like I was in into it, like um, in the scene where she hides behind the door, for instance. Um, um, just that shot, really, where she hides behind the door. It's a couple of shots. Um, I, you know, I felt the tension in that scene. I thought it was really good. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I mean, I basically felt like I, these were kind of thoroughly horrible people who I wasn't particularly entertained by the. Exploits of oh, well, I love almost everything about it. I think it's deservedly a great classic. I think it's got things that are just still so extraordinary, really. Um, not the least uh, Barbara Stanwyck's performance. Mm. I mean, there were some moments in this film that I think are as great as anything that's ever been offered by American cinema. You know, um, the moment where they kill the husband in the car, yeah, and the camera closes in on her, and you just have mm. like this glint of a smile. You know, um, there's a moment where the husband's been thrown off the train, and um, Fred McMurray tells her to go pick up the crutches, right? And there's the way that she's got her mouth open, it's almost a, like a sexual glee, really, at this murder that she's just committed, right? Kind of. Um, the scenes in the sofa where she's wearing that tight, tight, tight Angora sweater, right? And kind of, you know, and she's playing, and she's playing on him. And you could see both that she's attracted to him, that she's playing him, and also how she's playing him. I mean, I think those are all, like... Mm. Absolutely fantastic things, really. Her performance is pretty incredible um, and kind of thoroughly captivating. And uh, and when she kind of, you know, when she sort of fully exposes herself as the nasty piece of work, she's mm. kind of been bubbling away at being the whole way through. You kind of feel it, and she's like I said, I mean, thoroughly unlikable mm. <laughs> in the best way. You know, um, uh, like when when that kind of comes out at the end. It's great. It's it's more uh, him 
Fred McMurray that I had the issue with. I kind of felt like he was stupid. Well, his character, not the actor, but <laughs> felt like the character was sort of not that bright, really. Um, well, he's a chump. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what he is in the movie, right? He's somebody who, who, you know, at the very beginning of the film, you see that he's aware that she's trying to set him up for murder, right? And he walks away. But then, you know, yeah, he's so attracted to her that he lets his dick overrule his head. That's what it, the film is all about, really. Yeah. Well, you I know. can sympathize with that. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what happens. Uh, but, but there's a point at which you're going like... That's why dead. he ends up dead. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, that's, like, he is that kind of... He does have that film noir thing of already being uh, dead, really. Already being doomed. Yeah, well, he's, like, there's that wonderful line where he says, I don't hear the footsteps behind me. It's a great line. It's a great line. He couldn't hear his own footsteps, and then as he walks away, you can't hear them either. You know? It's a film that's full of great lines, that's full of like really quotable lines. Mm. You know, how fast am I going? 45. Yeah, that whole dialogue at yeah, the beginning is absolutely right. brilliant, right? Uh, and it was wonderful to see the audience completely with it, actually, and responding in all the right places. And actually, there were moments that it's interesting to see it with a proper audience rather than with just with students, because you catch things that are meant to be played, right? That that's the way the film is, me is meant to play, in quotation marks. But actually, you don't see it. And then you watch it with students, and you don't see it. And then you watch it with a proper audience. And actually, that whole scene with the witness that's brought in, who had seen him on the train, yes. right? And there are moments where, you know, just a little reaction from Fred McMurray gets a huge surge of interest from the audience, right? Mm. Or when he goes behind him, or, yeah, it's like every move in the film is charged with an audience response in a way that I hadn't quite seen it before. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, a paying audience is, is, is looking for looking to enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> The students exactly. are just looking to get home. Yes, <laughs> well, you know, those but things... I'm not, yeah, I know what you mean, like, it, it is true, actually, that is, the film is full of... of little important gestures like that mm. that everything everything that happens every move that happens every time someone looks at someone every time someone picks up the phone means something mm. and it's all about kind of control of information how it reaches you and what certain things mean because then you've got your know, edward g robinson kind of putting the story together as he sees it based on information that he gets mm. and then how does that affect fred mcmurray and blah blah, blah. so yeah i mean it's like kind of control of information the way that you understand everyone's different understanding of where they are in the story mm. is really strong actually mm. yeah. and I loved Edward G. Robinson I oh, mean, he's he got the, he got good reactions yes. from the audience and he's kind of he's so dynamic and he makes scenes kind of meaningful he's only you know he's the only person I can think of who literally cites an actuarial table and kind of you know gets the audience to respond to it right like kind of mm. you know it's just amazing that he can do that really that monologue where he's yeah. listing all the different different yes. versions of poisoning and all yes. that. yeah it's so, fantastic um so you know and it's kind of it's full of technical terms and so on you know and um he's just brilliant really and i love the whole kind of relationship between him and fred mcmurray that you know i mean fred mcmurray's basically you know that line at the end i love you or no closer than that and he says oh i love you too yeah kind mm. of um you know and the fact that he'd been too close to him to to to, to suspect it i thought all of the way that that whole relationship kind of was drawn out was great um i think the the, the score is absolutely fantastic you know it's uh, um miklos rosha i had to look that up um 
but it's a beautiful score. You know, mm. it's kind of um, it's interesting because you think of it as a, almost like a modernist score. It's very modern, and of course, the film is now I don't know seventy years old or whatever, right? Forty-four. Um, yeah. Seventy-five. Seventy-five. Yeah. Um, so. Um, and the lighting is just fantastic. So, you know, it's the way that you can make sunny California seem like, you know, malodorous and dark and, you know, mm. it's kind of, yeah. There's something about um, smells in the film, right? So they often talk about it, right? About the perfume I bought it in Encinada, <laughs> right? And, you know, she kind of um, wears orchids, in you know one of her outfits right um black orchids and you you know and there's something about the decor and the lighting in the house in her house where you know it really does it's almost like you can smell it you know you can smell evil <laughs> <laughs> and it's seductive yeah i kind of I, I loved all of that yeah yeah, I think it really is just down to the fact that I really didn't like Fred McMurray's character uh, Walter, and and I, I I felt he was kind of aggressively stupid to the point where um, he w even went beyond being just a chump. I, I think it's partly the fact that he's um he's, he's narrating the story from the end. Yes, you know, and so th so there's this framing structure of he's telling the story into a uh, into Edward G. Robinson's dictaphone, sort of like being honest about everything that's happened. Mm. So so that's your frame device, and that's what gives you narration the whole way through as well, kind of classic. That's what film gives narration. it the structure. Yeah, yeah, and um, and and kind of the way that the way that he is telling the story is still of, of kind of somehow being in control. It feels yes. like. You know, like, I'm in control of this story, I'm being honest about blah, 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 even though it's clear that he's lost. And then, you, as you discover at the end, he's actually been shot in the shoulder and he knows he's kind of for it. Mm. Um, he might not die, but, um, you know, he, he's definitely going to prison for a long time or, yes. or, or going to be executed. Um, so there's, there's this kind of mismatch between sort of... Um, he's, he's still, he's still, he still delivers this story as though he has control of everything that happened. And, of yes. course, he completely didn't. But I think that's what I love about noir. I mean, I see them all as kind of, a, you know, as male melodramas, as like these, <laughs> it's these love stories, really, of, you know, men who are undone by passion, right? Um, I mean, sometimes love, sometimes passion, sometimes obsession, right? All those things that aren't meant to affect men. So, you know, he's got this very measured, very controlled way of telling the story. But that actually, everything that the film shows you is the opposite of that. He's out of control. I mean, he's involving himself you know, for in murder, he doesn't need that, right? It's kind of you know, it's the anklet, you know, that's kind of driving him crazy, really. And and I can understand that, right? Like kind of you know, so and and what makes it interesting for me about Fred McMurray playing it is, you know, he's one of the most placid leading men, you know, in the history of cinema. I mean, he's a very good comedian. He's the regular guy. Like you actually don't see a lot of you know undercurrents kind of in his face, mm. right? Um, yeah, he seems like a happy-go-lucky guy, and you get the feeling that he really was until he met her. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't kind of he wasn't the biggest star, really, was he, Frederick Murray? I know he did a lot with Disney. Um, no, he was a huge star in the thirties and forties. Yeah, I mean, he's not a very well-remembered star okay. because um, you know, aside from the two films he did for Billy Wilder, this one in the apartment, uh, not too many of his films have survived. Like some of them you know, are like minor classics, like the films he did with Carol Lombard, Swing High, Swing Low, or something like that. 
but you know, mostly he was just yeah, yeah he he was a big star. Okay. Um, he was one of I think he was you know aside from Bing Crosby, he was Paramount's biggest male star of this whole period. Um, but the films haven't weathered well, you know. Okay. Though, well, you know, he's so interesting as well because, I mean, he was a star for a very long time. I mean, from the moment that he began in thirty four, thirty five, you know, then he did. Um, I mean, then he was a star throughout the classic period. Um, he did stuff for Cirque as well, um, and then he moved on to Disney and continued making those. You know what? Absent-minded professor. Well, yeah. I forget what they were called. Uh, the films. Um, uh, I'll, I'll ch- check for you. Through the sixties, and they were huge hits, right? And in the meantime, he did a, t- a long-running television show. I think called All My Sons or or My Three Sons or something like that. Uh, you know, which was a staple of American television throughout the fifties and sixties, really. So. Um, I mean, there was a period in America where every where everyone would be able to tell you who Frederick uh, Fred McMurray was. Yeah, he was the absent-minded professor, uh, Shaggy Dog, as this well, one. son of Flubber, the happiest millionaire. Yeah, um, and those were all big hits, yeah, big yeah. big hits. Um, so, um, and I think he gets billed over Stanwyck in this, doesn't he? So that goes to show how big he was. Um, uh, well, I think so. Yeah, I mean, well, he is he is the, the star. So, um, yeah, yeah, um, I didn't like how often he said baby. I think that is an issue with the writing. Yes. Uh, I I don't know if that's, if that's uh, seeing it with modern eyes and going, that doesn't seem to sound right, but you know, or whether it kind of would have seemed a little bit weird in 1944 as well. It, I, it, uh, it it was like, it was like, you know, saying, Ooh, groovy baby. I know. (laughs) I think it's the thing that is most alienating to um, contemporary audiences, the use of that word. And to be honest, I don't know if that was a staple Mm. of the period or not. It, you know, no reviewer of the period picks it up as something annoying, right? So it must have been standard lingo. Um, You know, I suppose the way that people used to say doll, hey doll, you know. Um, which they, nobody ever says anymore, and actually you get killed for saying, really. Um, so I can I can understand that. Um, but actually, it's also a very unsentimental movie. I like that about it, mm. you know. Um, well, I mean, there is this idea, again, this is something that's slightly rankled, I suppose, in that um, she obviously is playing him, but he falls for it completely. Yes. And... Basically, from like two days into sort of knowing her, he's saying "I love you," yes, and he's doing this because he loves her, um, and immediately you, I kind of stop believing that, you know. And actually, by the point later on in the film where he realised he needs to get out of this, he needs to dump her. Um, I'm thinking like he should have realised this long ago, you know. I and mean, maybe that's part of the chump thing, but but like the the, the love aspect sort of even what long before he gives up on that, I felt like. It, it had ended, him, uh, him being in love in love with her. Well, I don't feel that I because, I mean, the film, first of all, goes, you know, to, to quite an extent to give you reasons for him to want to help her, right? So all that line of dialogue about, oh, you know, I don't think she quite says he beats me, but, you know, she, she goes on she about... She pretty her. much does, I think. Okay, yeah. there you go. 
So, um, yeah, she goes about how horrible he is to her and so on and so forth. So, you know, you, you, I mean, she's making him out to be like a knight in shining armor who's going to rescue her, you know, from this horrible condition that, you know, she needs a strong man for. So, you know, the, the Definitely film... at that point, I'm going with it. Mm. But then as the film progresses, it's really about the intricacies of actually of the plot and then how the story develops and how they're going to get out of it. So it, it's about those details. Yes. And the, the, that, the, the motivation um, falls away, I think, from the focus of the film. And so like, there is that one moment where, where I, think, I, think, I think it's when they've just done it and um, she says, aren't you going to kiss me? Yes. You know, that's, that, that's like just the night that they've done the murder. Um, and then it's kind of, it's really, it doesn't seem to be there at all. But that's a fascinating moment, you oh, see, yeah. because you can tell that for her, the whole murder has been a turn on, right? Mm. And for him, he feels he's got a conscience, right? Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's that contrast between the two that I think is one of the things that the film makes so interesting. And the film, again, goes to great trouble to show you that he does have a conscience, right? You know, the, the purpose of the daughter is is exactly that, right? Mm. You know, to show that, you know, he's somebody who's been driven to do a terrible thing, right? Whereas kind of she is capable of anything, really. But it's interesting that he's the one who does the murder, right? So, yeah. yeah. So, so I think you have kind of like a really interesting kind of, you know, complex character, how, you know, Mr. Happy-go-lucky, all of a sudden, halfway through the film, becomes a really cold-blooded, premeditated murderer, right? Like, uh, uh, I think that's brilliant. Because actually, I think there are very few films who are so uncompromising. And actually, there are very few actresses who would, uh, who would play that, the role that Barbara Stanwyck does, the Dietrichson role, um, without asking for audience sympathy at all, you know? Like, mm. I mean, you know, she, she shows you her being sexy, you know, and alluring and calculating and murderous and, you know, but kind of you never see her just being nice, you know, <laughs> like, um, mm. so I think that's, that still stands up. It's, I think it's absolutely brilliant, really. Um, and a good point of comparison, you know, because both this... So Double Indemnity and Joan Crawford are both based on James M. Cain novels, you know. Double Indemnity and Joan Crawford. Sorry, Double Indemnity and... Um, the Postman Always Rings Twice. The Postman Always Rings Twice, but what I'm thinking of is the one where Joan Crawford starts the chain of restaurants, the Michael Curtis. Oh, um, Mildred Pierce. Mildred Pierce. Right, right, right. So all these three were based on James M. Cain novels. And actually, I think this is the one that is um, most uncompromising, that's darkest, you know. Well, I have a, I have a line from um, What's-His-Face at the Hayes office. Oh. Um, this, is, this is off uh, Wikipedia. Um, there's Kane's novella yes. that's published, and then it goes out to the studios. MGM, Warner Brothers, Paramount, 20th Century Fox, and Columbia were all competing to buy the rights for $25,000. Then a letter went out from Joseph Breen at the Hayes office, and the studios withdrew their bids at once. In it, Breen warned, quote, The general low tone and sordid flavour of this story makes it, in our judgement, thoroughly unacceptable for screen presentation before mixed audiences in the theatre. I'm sure you will agree that it is, it is most important to avoid what the code calls the hardening of audiences 
especially those who are young and impressionable, to the thought and fact of crime. Well, yeah. Well, this one is like... He's right. Uh, well, uh, this one managed it. Uh, and it does so... I love the way that it sublimates all the sexuality. So, you know, and the cheapness. So on the one hand, you have that poof on her shoe, right? Yeah. Which kind of, I don't know, that poof evokes a world, really, particularly with the anklet next to it, right? And, and it's the way a that she crosses her legs. The way that she crosses her legs. Also, I don't know if you noticed, but she's got too much jewelry. And it's all <laughs> big and flashy and kind of at odds with each other. It's like too much, really. Yeah, so that, I mean, that gives you an indication of where she's from, right? And kind of and what she wants. I think, I think it's almost like every detail in the film is beautifully worked out. The only thing that annoys me and that I still think is a problem and um, is the subplot with the daughter. Particularly with the, the daughter? Well, everything, everything that the daughter does? or I, I think everything that the daughter does is... So if we try to distinguish between the character and the actress, maybe the character is necessary, right? And actually, I think really the character is necessary, you know, particularly with Zacchetti, the boyfriend, right? But I find the actress so annoying who plays Lola, you know, mm. that um, it irritates me. She's a bit Anne Hathaway. <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> She's a bit sort of tr- trying sort of so very hard. I'm acting. Um, who, was, who was the actress? Um, Jean Heather. I don't know her. I don't think she did very many films. Um, um, she did eight feature films during the 40s. I think she had a car accident and that sort of ended her career. Because I think yes. they went, well, you're ugly now. As well, we just want to do. Um, anyway, yeah, I, know, and I know what you mean, but I think you're right that the, the, the subplot is necessary. The character is necessary to give uh, Walter the kind of the mm. the good sort of person to start to cling on to a little bit and um, and to feel terrible about what he's done. Mm. I love also the cinematography, the way. So so for example, there's the scene where they kill each other, where they shoot each other at the end that obviously is just completely enshrouded in shadows and so on. Mm. But if you look at the rest of the film, there there's shadows everywhere, so, you know, and at the beginning of the film, they're very fleeting, right? So, you know, he's a hat in the doorway or things like that, right? And then kind of as the film advances, kind of the world becomes kind of, you know, darker and darker. Yeah. yeah. So I love that. Um, yeah. That, that, that scene in the house at the end when, when the gun's there, um, I noticed the light in there. You know, when she turns, she t- well, she she looks at the door and then she closes it and turns out the lights, and all of a sudden you notice the moonlight coming in. That's that just changes the way everything mm. looks. And it just and as she moves, because she she moves sort of past the couch and round it, and then back again to the to the armchair, and she kind of moves into light and out of light and into light, and just light just picks up certain certain parts of her, and then it's it's wonderful the way the just the just the way that looks mm. and um, all of a sudden things are kind of changing and then she finds her place in the in the armchair just overseeing this entire scene that she's mm. got set up for herself and then, of course he comes in the door and that hat mm. in the in the silhouette and the film starts off with a similar image doesn't it that, it does that, um, over the over the opening titles it's just a, a man is, is he on crutches he's on crutches isn't the first which time, is yeah. like you know I think that's the image of the film really kind of a man on crutches you know, kind of, um, 
And actually, it's very interesting that it's both her husband and her lover, right? And kind of, they're both impotent in relation to her. Right? That's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> it's really, I think that's a great touch. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards and won zero. It was nominated for uh, Best Picture, Lost to Going My Way. Uh, nominated for Best Director, Lost to Liam McCary for Going My Way. <laughs> you, you were talking up Liam McCary a little while ago when we were doing the... Um, well, I like him except when he's now. doing Catholic propaganda. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. one of the great screwball directors. But, uh, you know, The Bells of St. Mary in particular, which is the sequel to Going My Way, is just out-and-out out Catholic propaganda, and I despise it. Um, uh, Barbara Stanwyck lost uh, Best Actress to Ingrid Bergman. For Gaslight. Yes. I love Ingrid Bergman and Gaslight, but this is a much greater performance, I think. Um, who else have we got? Uh, best screenplay was lost again to Going My Way. Well, it's a great screenplay. There's no question about it, really. Mm. It's a great, great movie. Uh, and I was really delighted to see how it played, you know, with a paying audience today. Uh, and it's kind of uh, a movie that I never see so tiring. And I, I always kind of, you know, notice uh, something new uh, in it. As I said, this time, it was those elements of, of Stanwyck's performance, really. Kind of, you know, the way that after the murder, she runs towards uh, McMurray with just like her mouth kind of, you know, hanging open. Like it's as if she's just ready to have sex, really. <laughs> it's kind of quite amazing. The audience annoyed me. Ah, today, why? They were making so much fucking noise. Well, that's a, that's a problem. That is, I, I, I agree with you. know, there's one, you. Thing at the, there's one thing at Cineworld where, where you, they sell popcorn and shit. But there's quite another with the electric where they sell cups of tea and that's it. And everyone's opening fucking boiled sweets, it seemed like. And yes. taking ages doing it, like thinking they were being quiet by doing it slowly. Yes. And actually they were just prolonging the pain. Well, it's probably like a crowd that went out last night and has a hangover. Well, it made me very it angry. Was a, it was a noon screening. <laughs> but it was a one-off. You know, it wasn't like... They weren't just seeing the latest thing. They were, it was the, the whole point was he was seeing... A, I know, a but there were a couple of people who kept going to the toilet, right? Not once, but many times. And you think, like, you know... No, anyway, just the opening sweets, man. Just keep it to yourself. Just eat quieter food. Just a bread, bit of bread. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, would you recommend this movie? Well, I mean, I guess I would, despite the fact that I would probably need another crack at it. Really, mm. I mean, there are definitely things I appreciate, and um, I would give it a second go. Mm. Um, but I mean, it, but it is the case that I didn't hugely get on with it outside of a few scenes that I liked, or a few shots, or a few lines here and huh. there. You know, kind of every time Edward G. Robinson came and he kind of lit up the screen, I wanted to hear what he had to say. Mm. I knew he'd have some fun. I mean, it's a very witty script. Mm. Every, every line he has ends with some barb, yeah, some, some snappy line. Um, so like, I'd, I'd give it another shot at some point, but um, I didn't. I didn't hugely get on with it. I wonder if it is. Just not my style, really. Maybe it's just been so influential that there's the, yeah, there is an element of that. I've seen um, it. I've seen the style parodied, echoed so much yes. that it's not original anymore in this. And like, despite the fact this is kind of the prime example. Yes, this of is it. where it originated, or a lot of those things originated. Yeah. Um, no, I still love it, and actually, kind of, 
you know, there's a beauty to the symmetry of the screenplay, you know, like the thing with the matches, you know, and how at the end it's Edward G. Robinson lighting matches for him. Mm. I mean, there's just so many touches, really, that, um, yeah. How does he do that match trick? Well, I, I, you know, you can't do that with contemporary matches, let no. me tell you. But I think we now have safety matches. They don't automatically light up in your pocket like Edward G. Robinson. See, that's, so. that's the problem. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> anyway, shall we wrap up here? Yeah, I reckon so. All righty. Uh, well, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on... Uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, and uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter and Facebook, and eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Yes. And if you get a chance to see Double Indemnity on a big screen with a paying audience, do. Yeah, it was nice full screening, and, and despite the fact that they all ate the wrong food, it was that was good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, bye bye. <laughs>